Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called but of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. This week we're talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies because uh, unless you haven't noticed or you were too busy with your GameStop shares, uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have risen pretty sharply uh, in recent months and weeks. And here to talk to me about it is Laurie Kyo, who's Director in Digital Assets and Blockchain, BNY Mellon, and Adjunct Teaching Fellow at Trinity Business School and a longtime cryptocurrency uh, watcher. Laurie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Adrian. Laurie, get right to the point. What's behind the rise in the value of Bitcoin? What is behind the rise? So this really starts back in October when PayPal made an announcement that they were offering services where they would provide the facility to buy, sell and hold cryptocurrency. So effectively becoming an exchange in the same way Coinbase or Gemini or even Revolut are providing those services. Also, they're providing a, a function where you can pay for goods using cryptocurrency. So this was really the, the start of this back in October. And why is this really important? PayPal has a big reach. Um, and also, they have a reach of retail folks. So it's, it's that point at which, you know what, the, the, likes of, of, uh, the likes of me are able to pay for goods using retail, or sorry, using crypto um, for goods. Like it's, it's that mainstream adoption. That's always been one of the uh, interesting points to this that uh, we've never really been able to advance. What can you use Bitcoin for other than a store of value? As it stands today, even with the PayPal move, what is it that I can use Bitcoin for now uh, as an alternative to fiat hard currency? Um, you, you could so choose to purchase probably a number of things, but is it wise to do so is probably the, the real question. So if you were to buy a coffee today using crypto, it, the price goes up as we've seen or, or even down. So the coffee can end up costing twice as much or you know half the price the case may be. Hmm. So the, the, the tipping point here, a lot of people are saying um, as to the real retail and mainstream adoption of crypto to pay for goods and services on a frequent basis will be brought about by these things called stable coins. Now, I don't want to bring out another term in, in already a very noisy tech kind of space in relation to blockchain and crypto, but stable coins basically 
are coins that are issued which are linked or pegged to a specific currency like the dollar or the euro. So one, um, let's say USDC is a stable coin equals $1. So I know if I pay for a cup of coffee that it, the volatility of that um, stable coin is far less volatile than paying purely just in Bitcoin alone. So I think in 2021, we're going to start to see more more people using stable coins um, and even actually more stable coins being created. So I'd imagine even PayPal themselves will start to look at using stable coins. Um, you can also begin to see a bit of a movement where Coinbase and Gemini and other exchange providers have provided debit cards. So you're able to tap uh, and pay using part of your Bitcoin through stable coins. So Gemini, which is run by the Winklevoss brothers, if you remember them from mm. the social network. Facebook, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So they've recently become billionaires um, due to the, the price increase. They've brought out their own stable coin called the Gemini dollar. And that's exactly to perform that stable coin pur purpose. I'm able mm. to pay for things to reduce the volatility of crypto. You know, if I was choosing, this is going to sound very facetious. If I was choosing the stabilizing influence over the currency I was using, I'm not sure it'd be the Winkles, Winklevoss twins. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're nothing against them. They're you know, uh, they've had they had a vision. That was the whole point with their fight over the start of Facebook was about they were there in the beginning, whether or not they meaningfully contributed to uh, Facebook's initiation or not. But I don't know. It's just, you know, Central Bank Winklevoss brothers, you know, I don't know. And um, But I, I, th there's a more serious point behind that. And that is, you know, there is um, this idea of cryptocurrency, and most of the people I know who either hold it or buy it, they're one of two types of person. They're a true believer or a hodler, as, as you might uh, say, or they're just looking for a quick book. But the true believers often tend to be people who have less faith in authority or who are looking for alternative sources of authority than the ones in the traditional establishment ones like this like central banks uh, for example and i just wonder how long or you know where that goes in time you know um like in some ways the staying power of cryptocurrency really speaks to disenfranchisement with dis, uh, with um disenchantment with with the setup that we have um so uh, am, am I right in thinking that? I, I sort of link the two. Yeah, look, I, I, I definitely think there, there's a point there. Um, one of the other reasons why the price of Bitcoin has increased, people are saying, is that um, the millennials see crypto as the financial product of their generation. So they're getting behind it. Mm. Um, and, and maybe, uh, you know, GameStop could be another potential example of that. Well, GameStop's but, interesting because I've, I've seen commentary from some uh people arguing that GameStop is a store of value, an alternative even to cryptocurrency for some people, okay? Which it's, I can see the logic of that argument, although it breaks down when you think that GameStop is a company with directors and a CEO and a product and services. So therefore, no matter how much you want to religiously believe it in and potentially symbolically a store of value between you and your mates as a two fingers up to the establishment or to Wall Street, it is going to do things that you have no control over and none of your mates have control over. So it's, it's an odd way to think about GameStop. It, no, it is. It is. Um, I, I think go back to your point, look, about the the, the believers and perhaps the, the cynics around Bitcoin. Uh, you know what? There are people who are 
deeply passionate about crypto um, and, and even more so than me, they put me to shame. Um, and it's almost to the point where I think there's um, an over belief into the whole space. And I, I think with a new asset class, which I think cryptocurrency is as a store of value, um, I think, you know, common sense doesn't fly out the window. If anything, more of it is needed around what Bitcoin and Ether and other cryptocurrencies are, mm. what they do um, and how people use them. Um, I also think there's, you know, people uh, when they're talking to me about crypto, they, they say, oh, I don't have a clue about that. And really, this is where and why the European Commission has developed a, a regulation, which is a proposal uh, called the Markets and Crypto Assets Proposal, which is working its way through the European Parliament over the course of this year. And it'll probably be signed off next year. But the reason for that is it's about educating people what all the cryptos are. It's about protecting investors and it's about creating standards and regulations so mm. people can invest it and not be scanned. So for me, I think there is there's a healthy dose of cynicism applied to Bitcoin and crypto and well, blockchain. I, I don't in general. know if it would be. I mean, there's there is cynicism and skepticism. As a journalist, I'm well qualified to talk about both because <laughs> many many of us are quite cynical. And then, but the the dignified way of referring to it is skeptical, a healthy skepticism. Cynicism is never particularly helpful. It can be entertaining, but it's never really particularly helpful. But um, can you talk to me about the mentality of a hodler? Because there are hodlers, <laughs> yeah. and 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 hodlers, you know, have are laughing right now. I mean, if you regard laughing as being in uh, ownership of a very very valuable uh, commodity now, say take a Bitcoin hodler, you know, three years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, um, now we're at I think twenty five thousand dollars or something around there. They are definitely up on whatever they bought it for, unless they bought it last week. Um, what is the mindset of a hodler? Because they don't necessarily see it as, oh, great, it's hit $25,000. I'm going to sell now and pay off the mortgage. What's the mindset of a hodler? The mindset of a hodler ultimately is that the price is going to go up and continue to go up. Um, mm. Sure, there'll be moments where it goes back down, but then that will stabilize and then there'll be another run based on another announcement, as the case may be. But that is, I guess, the, the mindset of a hodler. I think really, if you're looking at Bitcoin uh, as something to invest in, the key thing here, like any investment is, what is your strategy? Why are you purchasing this? And do you have a price in mind that you're going to sell out at? I think that's the really important point. But we're, um, so but we're, we're talking about it even, even in those terms, which is completely logical. I think that's the way most people will, will look at it. But we're talking about as a traded commodity, something to make money off. Um, but some of the hodlers that I've spoken to over the years, they do regard it as a little bit more than that. They are quasi-religious believers. You said some of them put you to shame, okay? Because you've been in this business for a few years, and I'm presuming you're in it partially because you believe it and partially because it's a career because and, and there are opportunities there and it's a new area of commerce and, and all of that. But some of them are really have a quasi-religious uh, belief in this as, and this is what I was getting at when I started. we started this discussion, as an alternative source of authority, you know, to be able to detach yourself from civil society almost, or the civil society that, you know, the guy down the road who you regard as maybe a sap or a lemming or a sheep. <laughs> no, I, and, you know, I'm being, I'm over-egging it a bit here, mm. but that's the impression I've gotten from, from some hodlers. 
Yeah, no, look, I think there are people like that for sure. Um, and, and that is where in many ways Bitcoin started. Bitcoin started out you know, with one of its goals being a, a store of value, but also as a transfer of value. How do I mm. transfer a monetary value on a person-to-person or peer-to-peer basis without going through a central bank or a government? Um, and there are you know, people who got very invested in that fact. Um, and now I think when you, when you build in the fact that price, uh, the price of Bitcoin has increased so much, People are now living off that. Um, so they're perhaps selling out tiny bits and then that's funding how they li- live effectively. Mm. Um, so they're able, Adrian, to enter into the, the world of, I guess, uh, a Bitcoin-based existence. Mm. Um, Although if, now, they're, if they're doing that, that suggests that they acquired, they, they stopped acquiring Bitcoin a couple of years ago and now, now they're just in a gradual release of their share of Bitcoin. So they're... They're not really hodlers, and they, they may not even be true believers. They're because they they don't necessarily believe. Like I've spoken to guys who absolutely believe it'll get to a hundred thousand dollars, and there's no there's no question about it. That's the logical belief. Um, whereas if somebody is selling off their Bitcoin now, unless they're in dire circumstances, it suggests that it is just a financial transaction, really. Yeah, or what they may be doing is they're they're getting into the space, and this is kind of going down another layer of complexity. They're getting into the space where they're lending out some of their crypto and they're making interest from it. So there are, I guess, other Bitcoin-related instruments such as mm. Compound and Aave, or Aave is the name of another one, where you can effectively lend out your Bitcoin, you get interest from it, and people are starting to, I guess, accumulate some income from that. Mm. Um, so, and like a, a very good friend of mine is, I would argue, you know, a, a deep Bitcoin and crypto, um, I guess, expert, and he he is now in the space where he doesn't want to have another job. His job is now to manage his crypto portfolio in the best way he can, um, and therefore live directly from that. Hmm. And has he? And he's obviously in a position to make a go of it. Has he accumulated enough? Um, that if everything went bust or there was a, an emergency or crisis, if he if he liquidated everything, would he be in a good position? Um, I think depending on the price that he's able to liquidate at, mm-hmm. um, I, I think he would be. Like I think for him, he he is uh, he's slightly older. He has family commitments, so I think there there are considerations. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has a certain figure and goal in his mind as to what he wants to get to. And then he, I guess, has an exit strategy based on that. I don't think it will be, he hits the button and liquidates everything. Mm. I think it will be a, a release to pay off, let's say his mortgage as the case may be. Right, right. Um, in terms of yourself, you the, the second last time I interviewed you, maybe the last time actually, you were still with Consensus, which was a big company here, uh, which was set up by the co-founder of Ethereum, which is the second largest uh, cryptocurrency. You're now you've now moved to director of digital assets and blockchain in BNY Mellon. What's what's that about? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I look at a, a fantastic couple of years with Joe Lubin and Consensus. Um, and now um, with BY Mellon, really, BY Mellon is the, the largest custodian bank in the world. And what they do for their clients is they look after their assets and hold their clients' assets safely and securely. Um, and believe it or not, they have, I think it's now approaching 41 trillion assets under custody, which is hmm. gigantic. And I said trillion, not billion, not million, trillion. What, um, what does that mean, assets under custody? Is that everything from real estate to currencies to whatever? 
everything, everything. Okay. Um, and really what it shows in my role with the, with the bank now is, is to work with the bank um, to help uh, the bank custody crypto assets, digital assets for their investors. Because basically what we've seen is um, investors and their clients are saying, look, you hold bonds for me, you hold mm. stocks for me and other instruments. We now want exposure to cryptocurrency and digital assets, and we would like your help um, to do this for us because you already do a bunch of other stuff. So mm. can we? Can you not just bring that all under one roof? I, um, I guess it's interesting as well in that if a bank is doing that, and you've made this argument before that there are mainstream institutions that have looked at uh, Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies and have engaged with them. But if a bank is doing this now in that capacity, it is, it's brought in from the coal. It is institutionalized. If even, and a very shallow point here, if even that it's traceable, because one of the advantages that some people see in crypto is that it's cold crypto. They can kind of make their money without too much oversight of it. Oversight being they don't have to pay tax or they, they, they do have to pay tax, but it's very difficult to detect. But if banks are now incorporating this into custody arrangements, that's mainstream stuff. It is. It is. Um, and the key thing here is, is, is that the investors and clients are the people who, who want these services. Um, and to your point, will that result in transparency and, I guess, traceability and regulation and rules being followed? It absolutely has to. Um, because there's no way any bank is going to sign up to providing services of that nature, which is going to land them in hot water with any regulator in the world. So that is, I guess, another I guess, example of the mainstreaming of crypto, but at an institutional level, rather than the retail level we're speaking about uh, in relation to PayPal. So it's really mm. that you're seeing that convergence of both, which then really comes back to the question that you asked the start, why are we seeing that increase? It's for both of those reasons, that institutional level of demand and also that retail level of demand. We're seeing regulation becoming clearer in the US uh, across the, I guess, the Eurozone. And then we're also seeing, I guess, hedge funds, Ray Dalio and amongst others, um, those guys come out who initially said, you know what, they, they weren't quite sure about Bitcoin and crypto. And, and actually, some of them spoke quite negatively about it. And now their tunes have changed. And now they're investing tens, if not hundreds of millions of their funds into crypto why? To get returns. Mm. Um, that's what they're in the business of doing, and they do it very well. So the case, if I'm listening to you now, and I'm coming to this fresh, the case that you're making, that you're building here, is that um, unlike the narrative that says that Bitcoin uh, it goes up and down wildly, and this is just a kind of a, a rally that's spurred on, maybe from a gang of people in Reddit, or, you know, and, and it could collapse again. The case that you're making is a very, very different one, which is that this is being grounded in legitimate, uh, standard, understandable, semi-traditional moves in among financial instruments and financial markets, and ultimately that it's sustainable. That is what we're beginning to see. Um, so the like Bitcoin ETFs and, and Bitcoin futures, um, I think Bitcoin futures have been around for the last couple of years. We're about to see an Ethereum uh, future, I think, be approved later this year. So this is just step by step by step. This is becoming, I guess, more standardized, mm -hmm. more regulated. Um, and it's just going to become another asset which people have access to at a retail level and at an institutional level. The key difference being, Billions and trillions versus millions. Last question: you, You've this isn't the first time you've spoken about cryptocurrencies in this way. You've made this argument to me and to others, I'm sure, many times before. So I have to ask you: that being the case, you you know, 
you must have built up a fair bit yourself or you're a mug, <laughs> you're a mug if you haven't yeah have, having argued this all the time <laughs> i love this question yeah um how much money is in my wallet no no um I, look i do have crypto but uh do i have a ferrari for my ferrari the answer is absolutely not i have neither um mm. But why, I why not? In. If you were, if you were, because you you are a believer, and and what you're saying to me now is what you said to me a few years ago, and it was much much lower, mm. much much lower. Why didn't you buy more of it then? Um, I, look, I have some. <laughs> uh, I'll yeah. certainly say that. Um, and I'm, I, I guess I fall into the bit of the the hodler category that you were mentioning. But like any stocks, and um, that I have or you have, as the case may be, well, we're, we're actually we're we're actually not allowed. Well, sorry, we are allowed to have stocks, oh. but we're not. I'm not allowed to have to invest in companies that I might write about. So okay. I've been sitting for years looking at Apple, going this <laughs> this company is going to be it's going to be way bigger, even bigger. I'm not I'm not allowed to invest in it. Great. Okay. That, that, well, that's tough going. Um, what I would say is, um, yeah, I, I invested a number of years ago, but it is a, a life-changing amount. Certainly not at the moment. Um, is what I would say. So I, I believe in where this is going. Um, as you said, at a career level, um, and I continue to buy. I wish I had more. I wish I had more money than I do, uh, and I'd invest more than I do. And I think the way I certainly approach investing in crypto, whether it be Bitcoin, Ether, or other things, it's through dollar cost averaging. So I buy the same amount um, each week, uh, and that way, whether it's whether the market is up or down, I'm continuing to accumulate mm. Um, mm. and increase my portfolio that way. Okay. So retirement plan. <laughs> retirement plan but certainly not next year anyway no uh, but but but, but it, 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 what you're saying is that you're you believe in it you're accumulating what you can afford but you are accumulating because you do believe in this as an asset class that will continue to rise in value Absolutely, absolutely. So much so. Look, um, I, I, um, you know, uh, I'll I'll pass on a a Bitcoin to my son in time. So, uh, you know, that will be that's the way and the kind of long term vision that I have for it. Mm. Okay. Um, listen, uh, pleasure as always. Laurie Kyo, Director in Digital Assets and Blockchain, BNY Mellon, and Adjunct Teaching Fellow, Trinity Business School. Thanks very much for joining me today on this podcast, and thank all of you for watching or listening. My name is Adrian Weckler, tech editor of the Irish Independent and Sunny Independent, and I'll talk to you exactly the same time next week. Bye-bye.